These letters should spell out the repayment options and estimate exactly how much interest is going to pile up if the payments are deferred and provide basically the entry level uh, income that a student could get based on their major. Right. And so it would actually help them plan out, okay, if I earn this much and I owe this much, yeah. <laughs> what is this going to look like in my life? Welcome to Getting Money Right, a show dedicated to helping you achieve financial freedom through education and inspiration, so you can be free to pursue your true life's purpose. We are your hosts, Leo Sabo and David Thompson. And on this episode of Getting Money Right, we're continuing our discussion about student loan debt and really the implications that it's having in our culture today. So in the last episode, we got up to the point where we were talking about some of the solutions that the government is starting to look at to provide assistance for hopefully future folks who are looking to borrow and some of the requirements that they're going to have put in in order to make this much easier for people to do it and not suffer the same consequences that we're seeing today. Yeah, these are more preventative measures, and I love them. This -hmm. this is really education on the front end for the student who's 18 years old out of high school and is about to make a life-altering decision of $100,000 of student loans. Mm -hmm. And now before they make that decision, we're actually going to have some papers that we give them that say, okay, are you aware? <laughs> yeah. Are you aware that that your actual cost of education is not this little tiny number that you saw, just tuition and fees only? Mm-hmm. It, it is also this, 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 and the interest that accumulates over time through this debt. And so uh, the first thing that we talked about was that financial aid offer letters should have an itemized and subtotaled cost of attendance that would actually tell the student how much it's going to cost them to attend that university or that higher education institution Mm -hmm. uh, over the next so many years. And they pay their student loans at the, you know, the minimum, how long it's going to take, what the total cost will be. So I think that is incredible. The next one is that there should be a broad adoption of debt letters in higher education. And these letters should tell the students every year how much debt they've occurred Mm -hmm. and what those future expected payments are going to look like. Debt letters are already required in 12 states, uh, but this should be required everywhere. everywhere. In every state. Every every state Mm -hmm. should be doing this Mm -hmm. every single year. These letters should spell out the repayment options and estimate exactly how much interest is going to pile up if the payments are deferred and provide basically the entry-level income that a student could get based on their major. Right. And so it would actually help them plan out, okay, if I earn this much and I owe this much... Yeah. (laughs) What is this going to look like in my life? That's a really big deal. I remember when Ashley and I were dating and she was in college and I said, hey, you know, how much do you have in student loans? And I mean, obviously, it's not a romantic question when you're dating, but uh, that was a little while into our relationship. And as we went through that process, I discovered just how difficult it is to actually find out how much you have in student loans while you're in school. Yeah. Like it was it was like pulling teeth for her to go to the institution and try to find out what her exact student loan was, mm-hmm. how much she owed currently to that that uh, institution of higher education. And so I, I was I was a little frustrated and I love this idea that now every year a student would see, "Hey, you now owe us 10,000." 
you now owe us 15. You now owe us 35. And it would then grow every year and you'd see the actual numbers and it would tell you how long it's going to take with interest. Mm -hmm. Because I just, I believe that most students don't even realize how much they're accruing. Uh, I've seen this happen time and time again, where parents are pushing their child to go get an education. And the child just says, okay, I'll sign up for that college because you told me to. And the parents, they know they're not going to have to pay for it. So they don't even think about what it's going to cost their kid. Mm-hmm. And the student doesn't actually realize that this educational institution that their parent chose for them, this college costs 20 grand a year times four years is $80,000. And they're going just because they feel like they have to go to please their parent. Mm. Yeah, there's some of that. And yeah. they aren't getting a, um, a great major. They aren't choosing a strong major that's going to get a great income after college. They're just doing it because, well, my parents told me I need to go to college, so, and they said I should go here, and so I'm just here now. Well, now the student is armed with the information every single year of what they actually owe, and they can make a wiser decision. Well, there's another aspect of this. Not only is the student armed with this, but many times the parents have to either co-sign or sign the loans oh, yeah. for their kids. So the person who's most liable is informed. Right, right. Yeah. Which which there is. There's both of these. A lot of times the child will choose whatever educational institution they want and the right. parents are on the hook for it. Sure. So no, I'm not saying one is better than the other, Mm-mm. but I've seen it happen both ways. I've seen yes. parents that didn't know how much their student was actually taking out in loans. And I've seen students who didn't realize how much they were taking out because they were trying to please their parents. Both of those things happen regularly. Mm-hmm. And I think this is at least one way to educate both parties. I agree. The other thing that they want to do is increase the financial literacy by literally having courses uh, that will be required for them to take. And I think this is a almost a no-brainer. Like this this should have been done way before the kid starts college, right. in my opinion. Right, yeah, this should be a high school thing. Exactly. And even earlier than that. But the point is that they're looking and saying financial education has to be part of it because Although the information that's given to them and they can see how much money it's going to cost them, if they don't fully understand the magnitude of that, they may still be like, yeah, well, whatever, you know, just keep going. And I think by having some financial literacy courses being required before and during college, it'll at least begin to help them to understand the magnitude of what these loans will eventually cost them. So I love that they're proposing that. I hope they go through with that. That is going to be something that's required because without it, unfortunately, even if they limit their financial aid, even if they don't take out as many loans, when they get out, they won't be able to manage whatever they do have. Right. And, and I think that should be almost a no-brainer. Like, you've got to do this. Yeah. And what better time to do it than before they step into a life that they start racking up debt and buying things and, you know, the things that we we deal with every day. Yeah, well, so this is kind of funny. The report where they started to put this together, it actually said in the report, <laughs> this might be tough to do. Yeah, because I found that we very funny. Actually, yeah, we actually don't have enough teachers that are financially educated yep. to educate our students, and we don't have the programs in place. And we, I mean, this, this would be a, a huge undertaking because right now there's almost nothing and so they would have a hard time even, they'd have to find alternative teachers and alternative education sources, which to me is wonderful because, Leo, that's you and that's, me. That's right. <laughs> we, <laughs> we are an alternative education source to help people in this. Now, I'm not saying that we're going to start you know, a program to help college students. No, they just need to recommend need to getting money right in every college between now and 
Agreed. Forever. Agreed. Every and, college student so, should be listening. It, it should actually be governmentally required. <laughs> no, okay. <laughs> too far, too far. Too far. No, but but I just I thought it was hilarious. Like, this might actually be tough for us to do because most schools don't do this and we don't have enough teachers that know themselves. Yeah. Well, I kind of appreciate that honesty because at least they know, hey, we can't just throw a requirement out there, teach them about this or that, you know, regarding their finances, but that actually want to do it in a way that's actually going to work. And the fact that they are thinking about it to that level tells me that they're going to have to dig deeper to find out how do we actually teach these courses so that they are effective. Not right. that they're just a government-required thing right. that they can check off the list but really make no impact at all. I mean, I remember going through high school and even in college, and I was never given, never had an opportunity to go through a class that was even remotely connected to how I was managing my money. I mean, I took an economics class, a home ed class or whatever it was called back then, but it had nothing to do with how, how I manage money today. It didn't teach right. me what to do with my paycheck, didn't teach me how to choose a lifestyle, how to buy a house, none of those things. So I, I hope, it is really my deep hope that whatever this financial literacy course ends up being or courses end up being, that they will be very practical in nature. They yeah. won't be a high level like economics class because that will be useless in my opinion. Yeah. Well, Leo, let's take a turn here and go towards some of the political mindsets that are coming up around this idea of student loans, mm -hmm. because you and I both agree that it is a crisis. It's a student loan crisis. Agreed. Uh, there are a few things that schools can do on the front end to better educate students. I will say this. Schools don't have an incentive mm -hmm. to educate the students. Sure. No. <laughs> which actually sounds really funny. Schools don't have an incentive to educate students, but they really don't. The incentive for the school yeah. is to get the student to take out as much student loan as possible, mm -hmm. pay the school with that money, so the school has no liability issue because exactly. all the money has already been paid to them, right. and now the student holds all the liability. So the, the, the school, if they educate students on financial literacy, they oh, yeah. actually are going to earn less money. Yeah, it'll limit right. the amount of income right. that they get because there's going to be less people taking less courses and less debt. Right. So there is not an incentive there. So we need to be aware of that, mm -hmm. um, that, that that measure, all those three things that we've just talked about are not going to go cure all of this. Mm -hmm. And so what we're going to be seeing in the next election cycle is a bunch of politicians who what is the actual job of a politician well it's to represent the people but in order to represent the people in their minds the job is to collect as many votes as possible right because that's what allows them to get into an elected position and then to have power and authority to make decisions and so on the front end of a political campaign everything that happens in politics is around the idea of how do I garner votes? Mm -hmm. And when you look at $1.6 trillion of debt, you know that is affecting millions of students, students who are young and impressionable. Mm -hmm. and, and I don't mean that in a derogatory way. We're all impressionable, but but they're, they're just out of college. Mm -hmm. They have massive crushing student loan debt, and they have the ability to vote. Right. So you know that politicians are going to be speaking directly to these students trying to win their hearts, <laughs> to win their votes, to get themselves into office. So you've right. all, you got to realize sometimes they're going to say things that sound like they're in the best interest of the student or the best interest of the country, but really it's in the best interest of that politician because they're racking votes, right. not necessarily trying to serve people. So when this happens, you're going to see people who are desperate and financially hurting, mm -hmm. and they're going to hear things uh, from different politicians like, we want to forgive your loans. Right. 
we want to give you a free education. We want to make education accessible to everyone in every circumstance. Right. And these things sound wonderful. Sure. Forgiveness, uh, free, <laughs> equality. It sounds right. awesome. Like I even I'm like, wow, that's that's cool. How would that work? What does that look like? Yep. Yep. But we've got to go back to that economic principle that we talked about last week is that there is no such thing as a free lunch. So somebody is going to pay for this. There is no such thing as a free education. Mm -hmm. And we talked about how individually you can pay for it with hard work in high school. You can pay for it by going through hundreds of hours of scholarships. You can pay for it by working 30 hours a week right. and going to school 30 hours a week. Right. You can pay for it through all these different ways. But what these politicians are offering is we've got a way for you somebody to else pay to pay for it. for it. You don't have to do anything. Right. In fact, you deserve it. The mindset mm -hmm. of I deserve it. I was born, therefore I should have this. Right. I, I do believe that there are some uh, rights that we are all born with. Sure. The right to, to life, the right to pursue happiness. Yes. Uh, there is equality. There should we there are should be. Uh, there should be yes. uh, there should there be should equality. be a right, right, not something you have to fight for. Right, exactly. So so I believe there are inalienable rights that mm -hmm. are in, in bowed to us through our creator. Right. So I don't I don't deny that. But is the right to a collegiate education one of those things that we should all immediately have? It's like, should I have the right to owning a car when I turn 18? Mm. Should I have the right to owning a house when I turn 30? Should I have the right to getting a free education in college? Mm. And this is going to be a major, major question. So let's look a little bit at one of the plans that's being tossed out there by one of the politicians. Yep. So Elizabeth Warren, who's a presidential candidate for the 2020 election, has proposed a plan, and it's really focused on student loan forgiveness, debt forgiveness, and to create a free tuition for education. And that, that sounds, like you said earlier, it sounds like a great idea. But as we dig into this, I think it's important to understand how will this actually get accomplished. So here's some of the things that she's proposed. First is to cancel $50,000, up to $50,000 in student loan debt for everyone with household income under $100,000. Which is so attractive. Like I would love to have, I, I would have actually stayed in school longer <laughs> and I would have been less productive in the economy because I would have chosen to borrow more sure. to get more education, mm -hmm. uh, which the argument on that would be good. Let him stay in school longer because he'll learn more and be more productive long-term. But in that situation, instead of making the best choice for me and my family in that situation, I would have actually had an incentive to borrow more and to not make push my way through and make as much. So some of the reverse incentives occur when you give someone $50,000. Right. Right, so anyway, I'm, we're just, I'm poking it already and I shouldn't be. Keep going. <laughs> <laughs> the second one is to provide substantial debt cancellation for every person with household income between $100,000 and two hundred and fifty thousand, and we'll talk about what that looks like. But it's really, what it's what it's saying is, the more you make, the less will be forgiven. Which sounds right, but let's look into what that really means. Another one is not making student loan pay taxes on the debt that is forgiven. Currently, it's set up to count as income when the government pays your student loan. Yeah. But they're talking about eliminating that altogether. Right. So it's not only free and it's not only forgiven. But you don't even have to pay taxes on it now. It's amazing. Which, if you think about it, when you have your debt settled or forgiven, I won't say forgiven, but settled yeah. for a credit card. So let's say you have a $25,000 credit card. You can't pay for it for a while. 
you settle for let's say 10 cents on the dollar you pay $2500 and now you have 2250 $22500 that's forgiven well that's going to be income to you the following tax year or that tax year right so when it's time to do your taxes next year you will have had an extra $22500 as income and you have to pay taxes on that right they're talking about doing away with that amount right. of taxes you would pay on the forgiven amount right which Again, sounds really great. Sounds wonderful. If you're in that position, you're like, man, I'm not only going to get my $50,000 debt forgiven, but I don't have to pay taxes on that. Right. And right. It's a, so it's a double win. If I mean, you this is extremely appealing. If I were just out of college and had $50,000 of student loan debt, mm -hmm. which many, many students do, I would be voting for this. Now, I'm, I'm saying that like I would be so incentivized to vote for this to because it, I'm, yes. personally, I'm personally I'm personally going to receive $50,000. That's right. one year of wages at a great income range. I mean, why would I not vote for that? Well, let's just so, also talk about the fact that that survey we talked about in the last episode of all the things I now have to put off right. to pay off this $50,000 loan. Right. I'm not going to get married for another two years. Right. You know, uh, there's so many things that that this would cure right in my life if I could have this free fifty thousand dollar gift. Right. So so if somebody is attracted to this, I don't think they're weird. I don't mm -hmm. think they're crazy. No, it's human and nature. And when I first hear about it, I'm I'm interested and I want to learn more. I'm like, what does that actually mean to the country to do that? One of the other proposals that Elizabeth uh, Warren made is to include private student loan debt as eligible for cancellation as well, which in the past, that was not the case. You know, the debt forgiveness program, which we'll talk about in, in the next episode, talks about and, and describes how you can actually do some things or serve in certain aspects of the industry in order to get your loan forgiven. But that does not apply to private loans. This is actually including it. So it's almost like everything that would make you disqualified for this is being taken off the table. And the last one is streamline the student loan debt forgiveness process using data and income information already available to the federal government. So it's taking that information to say, here's everyone that will be included in this debt forgiveness. And it's really to include more and more people, right? I mean, it's it sounds so, so great. Right, it right. It sounds so great. And it's scaled up so... If you earn more than two hundred fifty thousand mm -hmm. dollars, you don't have access to it. But you know, from one hundred thousand up to two hundred fifty thousand in income, yeah. then it's scaled back a little bit. So the more you earn, the less benefit you get. So eventually, to the place where once you earn two hundred fifty thousand dollars or more a year, mm -hmm. then you don't get this benefit. Right. So we're starting to divide people right here. Right here. Yep. Some people deserve this. Some people deserve to not have it. Mm -hmm. and somebody is going to have to pay for it. So let's start to look at that. And before we, we dig into this further, I want to say that Senator Elizabeth Warren, um, I, from what I've seen over her career, she really has a heart to serve people. I, I have seen her desire to break up um, crime that happens in banking institutions. I've seen her desire to make sure that uh, high interest payday loans that we've talked about on this show, yep. that that goes away, that there is there are laws put in place to protect people. I have seen her desire to protect and help people. Yeah. So so as we talk about this, when I, my initial thought of, okay, Senator Elizabeth Warren is interested in helping people with their student loans, mm -hmm. my initial bent is, I'm interested. Like, let's talk about it. Let me right. see what's happening because this is somebody who, who, with integrity, I believe, has dedicated their life to trying to help 
the little guy, the person who's struggling, the person who's not doing well. And it's uh, admirable. And it's admirable. And it's very admirable. So, so this is not anything that, that we do in this episode. This is not to attack her through this, but this plan, mm-hmm. I, let's begin to look at it and say, okay, what does it look like feasibly to actually do this? How would this stuff be funded? Yeah. So, you know, as you look at the income and how they qualify people or will qualify people for this, it really says that if you make a certain amount, and really 250 is that number, if you make over 250000 which is about 5% of earners in the U.S., that you would not qualify. As soon as I read that, I thought, okay, uh, so the, the 5%, again, is not going to get any benefit at all. Right. It's not equality. It's not, it's not equality. So, so that, that bothered me a little bit. What if I fit in that 5%? If I don't, by the way, but, but if I did, <laughs> right. how would I feel about this? Right. Reading this article, all of a sudden, I take this personal. Yeah. Like, wait a minute. If I have $150,000 worth of debt because I went to law school, right. and now I'm making 300000 a year, but I have $150,000 that I have to pay, and it's a huge pressure on me, right. all of a sudden, I feel marginalized. I feel like, hmm, this isn't good for me, but it right. seems like it's good for a lot of people. 95% right. actually, right. but not for me because I'm in the 5%. So I'm penalized for this. Yeah. So it began to somewhat sour this message for me when I started reading it. Uh, the 50000 cancellation amount would phase out by $1 for every $3 in income above 100000 So the more you make, the less benefit you get. Right, right. Okay, that seems to somewhat make sense, I guess. But again, it creates a divide. Right. And, and then, of course, the next question is, well, how is this going to be paid? Right. Right. So the way um, that Warren would pay for this is with an ultra millionaire tax. Mm. And this is a tax, an extra tax that only applies to a certain small group of people. Right. So it's 2% of, of well, it's, uh, it's, I think it's like 0.1% of people. It's like 75,000 families. But that means that everybody else benefits from it. 99% of people benefit while this 0.1% get hit with this extra tax. So, man, this would be so easy to vote for because 99% of people are benefiting and only 0.1% are hurting from it. And it's only a 2% annual tax on what these people have. Right. Okay. So when I think about a 2% tax, I think of the person who owns $50,000 a year. Mm-hmm. And I think, okay, if, because uh, that's the median household income. Yeah. So if you were to go to the person who earns $50,000 a year and say, two police officers show up at their door and say, we need you to give us $1,000 right now. That's 2%. Yep. $1,000. 2% sounds like a small number. Oh, you're taxing this small group of people 2%. That's no big deal. Like, wh- there's no issue with that. Imagine you having somebody show up tomorrow at your house demanding that you give them a thousand dollars and then they walk down the street and they give that money to somebody else. Now, it's one thing if you have a thousand dollars that you want to give to somebody and and Ashley and I do that, not not give an individual thousand dollars to random people, but Ashley and I give thousands of dollars every year. Right intentionally to help other people. Right. Uh, and and, it, and it's not a small number. We intentionally give a lot mm-hmm. every year with the purpose of serving 
And the goal there is that, that we believe we've been entrusted to manage resources. And part of the way that we manage well is we are generous and we give and we help other people. So it's a part of our lifestyle, but we get to choose that. Mm-hmm. As soon as somebody shows up at my doorstep with the full force of the government behind them, and that's why I use police officers as an example. You could use a military officers as an example. Uh, as soon as somebody shows up at my door and says, David, you have to give me $1,000, and they walk down the street and they give it to somebody else, I've lost the ability to choose generosity. Mm-hmm. And now I see it as theft. <laughs> I see this as somebody coming and stealing from me to give to someone else. Now, it makes them feel great. In this example, and I love all police, so I'm not dogging the police here. But in this example, the police feel wonderful, right? Because they're like, well, look, we got to give away $1,000. But they also had to steal $1,000 in order to do that. So when I think of the government here, yeah, they look wonderful. We get to give $50,000 to this young student who's going to have to sacrifice if we don't give them something. We wouldn't want our students to have to work extra hours in college. We wouldn't want our students to have to work really hard in high school and get good grades in order to sacrifice and be able to achieve a college education. We wouldn't want our students to have to ever borrow money and then have to, you know, work hard while they're in school to go get a college. That's crazy to me. The government is saying, we're so nice that we're going to steal from somebody and give you money. Mm. To me, that freaks me out. Even if it is, quote unquote, ultra wealthy people who have a lot, who maybe it wouldn't affect their overall lifestyle. But $1,000 is going to affect my lifestyle. Well, it makes an assumption. And this is where I totally, totally stop believing in something like this. Anytime I see someone accusing somebody else because of where they are in life. For instance, we consistently hear, especially from politicians, about the wealthy and there's this division that's happening because they're painting them to be these people who have more than they should, as if they came about that by stealing and cheating and robbing somebody else from it. Right. And we fail to see what these people have done for our society. And honestly, here's where it breaks down for me. I have no right to judge someone without fully knowing and being in relationship with them. In other words, I can judge the behavior of my wife or my children because I'm in a relationship with them. And I know if they've done something that is right or wrong because I know them intimately. I spend time with them. I live with them. And Leo's wife gets to judge him as well. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> and so is it right to judge? Well, no. We know Scripture says not to judge. With the same measure you judge, you will be judged. So I'm not talking about judging in the sense of condemning. Right. Right. I'm saying right or wrong. But right. even to that point where some politician is creating a what seems like a benefit to so many right. by stealing from others, it puts me in the mindset, or it has the potential to put me in the mindset of, these people did something wrong, therefore it's okay to take from them. Right. And I don't know these wealthy people. Right. I don't have a relationship with them. So I don't want to be in a position where I agree with something that's doing something wrong, because we talked about this in the episode with uh, on biblical responsible investing. Right. If I know something's going wrong, I shouldn't be part of it, right? Right. I shouldn't buy into a company that's doing things that I don't agree with. Well, it's just the same thing to me. Yeah. Uh, so I, I think it's important to understand where the motivation is coming from and what the end result is, right. which is that this is not a free option for these ultra wealthy people. 
And I don't know what they have been tasked with in their life and how they're supposed to use that wealth. I do know that they'll have to give responsibility for that, as I will. Right. And if you right. believe in the Creator and you'll have to stand before Him someday, which I do, they'll have to give an account for every dime they have to manage, and I have to give an account for every dime I manage. Right. But it's not my place to judge. It's not my place to force. Right. So I, I yeah. don't agree with this process and with this method of fixing this problem, which it is. It is a problem. Right. But there I, don't, are, I don't agree with it. There are parables, and, and Jesus speaks directly against a wealthy person relying on their riches and a wealthy person being trapped by the deceitfulness of riches. Yes. So, yes, riches can be a problem, but never did Jesus come along and say, hey, I'm going to take what's yours mm -hmm. and give it to somebody else. Right. He always taught them and saw the heart change in them, and they chose if they were going to not let riches run their life. Right. But they had to make that choice. And as soon as you begin to legislate, you have to do this with your money, and you're wrong and immoral and bad because you have money, well, now you're going to have all sorts of issues. Mm -hmm. um, the, they did this in Europe uh, in the 1990s. Uh, this was a big thing. There were 12 countries in Europe that had a wealth tax. Mm. And today there's only three. Wow. And in one country, in France, they saw 42,000 millionaires leave the country oh, wow. because they didn't want to pay this wealth tax. That's right. Because it, it, who are you to come and tell me I have to give you my money just because I have earned a lot of it? Mm -hmm. uh, all of a sudden, it's like, hey, I built this company. Uh, and let's say that I, I like Microsoft because I use Microsoft Word every day, Microsoft Excel every day, Microsoft PowerPoint, Outlook. Mm -hmm. it, it, Bill Gates built this company that has served me, David Thompson, for years and years and years. Right. And now has served millions of people and Bill Gates has become extremely wealthy. He would be in the ultra-wealthy. But he did that by serving millions of people. Mm -hmm. So now, for me, as one of those people that he served, to be angry at him and say, you have too much money, yeah. you're immoral, you have to give me some of your money. Or you have to give my neighbor some of your money because my neighbor is in college. To me, I can't do that. To me, that's where this breaks down. Um, it, it's, it sounds very appealing. Uh, the, the, the place that we're in, the culture that we're in has decided to say that it is immoral just to be rich. rich yes. And I saw this in currentaffairs.org. They put an article out and here's a statement of what they said. Uh, they said that if you possess a billion dollars in a world where people struggle to survive, then you're an immoral person. The same is true as if, if you possess a hundred million. The same is true if you possess even millions of dollars. If you are wealthy, it's impossible to justify your wealth in a world that contains deprivation. Even though there's a lot of public discussion about inequality, there seems to be far less about how shameful it is to be rich. So their direct attack is that if you have anything over a million dollars, basically, mm -hmm. that it is shameful that you exist. It is shameful that you have that money. Now, personally, I believe that as you grow and accumulate wealth, you have a duty and a responsibility to serve others and to, uh, to be generous. I believe that every year, Ashley and I have not accumulated wild pieces of wealth, but every year we're generous mm -hmm. so that when one day we do get to a place of wealth, 
we will continue to be generous yeah. above and beyond. It won't be a leap for you because we've been doing it all along. It won't be a huge leap. So do I believe that people who are wealthy should be generous? Yes, yes. I do. But I don't believe that I have the right to shame that person. Or to force them. Or to force that, that person. Or to claim that they're immoral when I don't know their circumstance. Mm -hmm. I don't think that I have the right to judge that. I don't exactly. think that we as a society have a right to judge that. Because I think of Bill Gates. I think of Steve Jobs. I think of, I think of the electrician down the street that has literally for 35 years gone in and fixed people's electrical problems in their homes so they have lights on. And then they grew a crew of 5, 10, 15 other electricians. And for 35 years, they sweat. They cut their hands. You know, they got electrocuted. They, they, they you know, toiled. But then they built a company. Mm -hmm. Then they became multimillionaires. Right. And now their kids are benefiting from that. And that kid is like, oh, oh my dad paid for my school. Personally, I get a little jealous. Personally, I have to deal with that. Personally, I have to deal with a, a coveting what that, what that kid has because of the work that their parent did. Yeah. But at the end of the day, I don't have the right. Mm -hmm. the, the Bible tells us not to covet what your neighbor has. The Bible tells us not to covet your neighbor's wife, your neighbor's, uh, and it says donkey and house. So, you know, fill that in house today, car today, whatever that is. We don't have the right to do that. Mm -hmm. And so it, it can be very tempting to. I'm not saying it, it isn't. I'm not saying I've never struggled with it. I have. I struggled around, you know, money. This is a big thing for me. That's why we have this show. And that's why I've really put a huge portion of my life towards helping people in finances. Mm -hmm. Because we have the opportunity to take self-responsibility in these areas. And let's say you start out, quote unquote, as the little guy. The little guy whose parents didn't make a ton of money. Well, guess what? You have the opportunity to become that electrician mm -hmm. and to serve a hundred people or to mow a hundred lawns. You have the opportunity to mow a hundred lawns, hire five more people to mow a hundred lawns, hire five more people and become a millionaire mowing lawns. That is possible today sure in is. our culture. Sure and is. so I don't believe that we can punish somebody just because they've done well financially. I do believe that God knows their heart. And that their wealth, the Bible says that the wealth of the wicked will be stored up for the righteous. I do believe that God is going to even the scales out. And if somebody mm -hmm. is unrighteous with their wealth, I do believe that that is going to get moved on to people that will steward it well. I believe that wholeheartedly. But I don't believe I'm the one that gets to go in as the government and force someone to do that. And that's, that's scary for me. And that's the bottom line. I mean, we are not God. <laughs> we should not try to act as ultimate judge and jury for people, whether they have done the right thing, whether they should have a certain amount of money, or whether their work, no matter how many years they've taken to get to that wealth, whether it was given to them or whether they earned it over a 50-year backbreaking lifestyle. Right. I don't know. Right. You know, when I look at a guy like Warren Buffett, Bill Gates, so many of these people that had a $100 billion asset, right. Right. you know, I know it's not in their safe at home. It's wrapped up in companies. It's, yeah, it's wrapped up in companies it's, it's, that it's are still building products. It's literally today, every <laughs> right, moment, right. creating wealth. Right. You take that and give it away. Right. You're taking the very engine that's creating the economy today. Right. So it's foolish to even think that these people should give it all away. Right. This, this is nonsense. If you have even basic understanding of economics, you realize yes. that that would not work. Yeah, because, because Warren Buffett owns part of Coca-Cola and yeah. owns part of Geico and owns part of you know all these companies and that company is selling me David Thompson insurance. And that company is selling me Coke. Like yeah. I'm drinking Coke and, and I get to benefit from the fact that, the, that there are people employed at the company creating Coke, creating insurance policies, doing deductibles, mm -hmm. handling claims. 
I'm still benefiting. Now, just because his net worth went up, his net worth went up because he owns these companies and the companies serve people well. They're serving more people. They're serving more people. <laughs> which, you, it's just, which is what we want. It's what right? we want. That's what right. we want on this show. We're talking about serving more people. So even when we ask you guys to help us by increasing the ratings, by reviewing and following us and sharing this, this podcast with others, we're not doing it for a selfish reason. We're doing it because we're we really honestly just want to share it with more people. Right. If any of you know us personally, you know that you can contact us, call us, and we'll devote our time to answering your question, to yeah, talking about situations you're going through. I spent over an hour yesterday as I was should have been preparing to go to a <laughs> wedding, and my wife reminded me, and I'm literally running late to a wedding. But I sat down with a friend over a phone call because he's helping someone get on a budget and deal with a, a massive amount of debt for that person. Yeah. And I walked him through how they should guide that person. I didn't say, send them to me, I'll charge them, and, and, and you know I'll take care of it, and I'll benefit. Right. That was never in my mind. I said, I'm so grateful that you're doing this for your friend. Here's some information as you do it so that they really truly get the help. Right, right. But I spent an hour on the phone with this guy. And it was one of those like last minute phone calls that I hadn't even waited for. Right. Our point is this. Our desire is to educate and to serve people. And people that are wealthy, many of them have gotten there by serving others. Yes. Did they benefit financially? Yes. There's nothing wrong with that. It is my hope that I benefit financially from helping others, not because I need a bigger house, not because I need more, you know, more stuff. I've got more than enough, but because I hope that with more, I can do more. That's right. And that's the reason why we do what we do. Right. And think about the mission of, of getting money right. Right. To get you freed up so that you can be free to pursue your true life purpose. That's I believe right. that's serving people. I believe that's helping people. And that's sometimes financially, sometimes it's to free you up to have more time to help them in some practical ways. And that's really what we're trying to get to with this episode is let's not stop shy of digging into the motives of why some of these things sound so appealing to us. Yes. And really get to the bottom of what's really going on here. Is this a good thing because it sounds good or is there an ulterior motive and will this hurt someone? Because right. I don't want to be part of anything that's going to hurt someone. Right. Well, and as soon as we start creating laws where the 99% can affect the 0.1% mm-hmm. and demand something from them, you can dis- if you can discriminate against somebody because they're wealthy, you can discriminate against anybody for any reason. For any reason. Now the government has the right to discriminate based right. on money, right. based on color, uh, based on race, gender, based on location. Oh, you live in this one small city in the middle of the Midwest. We're all the rest of the country is going to tax you, and take away wealth out of that one city because we can, right. Right. because we because we believe we have the moral mathor- uh, authority or moral majority to come in and, and take away what belongs to you. You're setting a precedent mm-hmm. of pitting a large group of people against a small group of people which is only going to hurt democracy overall. It's not a good thing. Um, now, when I talked about the 1%, I'll tell you where my mind went. My mind mm-hmm. went Bill Gates, Steve Jobs, Warren Buffett, yep. fill in the blank, tech <laughs> billionaires. That's where my mind went. But can I tell you where our mind should be going? If you go to globalrichlist.com, Global Rich List, it actually lays out where you are in relationship to the rest of the entire world based on your wealth. Mm -hmm. And so if you earn the median household income in America, $56,000 a year, I think is what it is right now, give or take. Mm -hmm. If you earn $56,000 a year, you're in the top 1% of the entire world. You're actually like in the 0.1% 
five, you know, like mm-hmm. half of one percent, yes. like maybe point one of one percent. It is crazy. Yeah, it's an amazing you're, figure. But you're in the top one percent of the whole world. Yeah. So I was so saying surprise, that, surprise. You are the, the wealthy, <laughs> and you don't need anything forgiven. Right. In, fa- in fact, I'm not saying that in a wrong way. I no. just mean there's benefit to working. And as we began the, these last two episodes, it's about saying that it's okay to pay for things that are worthwhile. Yeah. In fact, I don't know that you'll appreciate the things that you get for free, as you will appreciate the things that you right. put in hard work for. Right. So, yes, we are all in that 1%, I believe, in this country, for the most part. There yeah. are some people that are maybe in the 3 to 5%. But overall, oh, sure. we are at the top. If you're if you're at the poverty level in America, $20,000. And you can put the number into globalrichlist.com. Yeah, please do. On your own. You'll, you'll put see your own yourself. income in there. See where you rank. If you're at the top... Uh, if you're at 20,000, you're still in the top 10% of the mm-hmm. entire world. Mm-hmm. And it may even be like smaller than that, whatever. That's I don't, I should have run the numbers, but it's crazy. Yeah. Um, so what I'm saying here is if you're in the top 1% of the world and you're thinking that you need to legislate the top 1% of your world, giving you money, think about how maybe you should be more generous towards the rest of the world, towards the people who are hurting because you are the top 1%. And that is one of the reasons that Ashley and I have dedicated our lives to, we take care of our family first, First uh, Timothy 5, 8, take care of your family first, worth, worse than an unbeliever. And I say we take care of our family first, we steward well to make sure our family is taken care of. Yep. We put God first personally in our finances. We actually dedicate uh, the first 10% and then some to the Lord's house. Then we go beyond that and we give above and beyond to people all over the world. And so... The reason we do that is because we believe it roots out selfishness. Our lives are not dedicated to growing our kingdom and growing our wealth and growing our home and our cars. Our our lives are dedicated to helping other people. Mm-hmm. And if you're in the top one percent here in America, I mean, if you're if you're at fifty six thousand dollars a year, um, I would just challenge you: don't try to legislate from somebody else. Start figuring out what you can do to be generous with other people. And let God deal with these other people that, that are in the billionaire status or in the tens of millions of dollars status. Agreed. Agreed. Well, we have definitely gone a little bit longer than we normally do, but instead of making two shows out of this, we wanted to close this out. So thank you for your patience to listen through this podcast. We are great um, for uh, commitment to just continue to listen and share. And as you do that, would you please help us to reach more people by helping us to reach that milestone of 150 reviews on iTunes. It would be great for us to be able to reach more people, and that's the algorithm that unfortunately puts us in a higher category so more and more people see getting money right. It's not about our ego. It's not about putting us in a higher position. Uh, That has nothing to do with it. It's really about our show getting out there and helping more people. So would you help us do that? Yeah, and I'd encourage you to go to leosabo.com. And just go over to the about page and click on my story and read Leo's story. Read about you know how he got to where he is today, the things that he's done, the people that he's serving. Uh, click from there on to what people are saying and see the testimonies of people whose lives are being impacted by his personal coaching, uh, by the podcast, by the, the business things that he does to serve others. You'll get to see the heart because that's what we want is just for you to see a little bit of the history. So check out leosabo.com. Go to the about page. Learn a little bit more. Uh, go to stewardshippastors.com. Click on on our team. If you go one below that to see the stewardship ministry pictures, you can see pictures of people all over the world. These are leaders 
that are learning about personal finances from a biblical perspective, mm-hmm. which really means generosity. It means savings. Servitude. It means servitude. Yep. It means uh, having a written plan in place. I mean, these are good values. So you're seeing leaders there from all over the world, in Israel, in Taiwan, uh, in Japan, in Romania. There are pictures of people all over the country and all over the world that are learning these things in order to share it with other people and help them personally. And so go to stewardshippastors.com, look under the Our Team tab at all the pictures of the cool things that are happening around the world. Go to leosabo.com, click on the About page, read his story. It's simple. You know, it's maybe a page or two of dialogue, but it's so good to see what's happening as we, and I say we, not just Leo and I, but we, you, the listening audience, we together as a body of people, we go out and we serve others with these financial principles. Um, lives change. Yeah. And there is, this is not about money. This is about you being freed up to pursue your true life's purpose. So leosabo.com, stewardshippastors.com. We're so grateful that you spend time with us. Please share. Please let other people know what's going on. And we look forward to having you join us next time so that together we can keep getting money right. We consistently hear, especially from politicians, about the wealthy and there's this division that's happening because they're painting them to be these people who have more than they should as if they came about that by stealing and cheating and robbing somebody else from it. Mm-hmm.